figure out where I want you guys to start at this morning because I do want to kind of review some of this in case it became cobwebs in the uh, belfry. We will be looking at Romans chapter 10, verse 9, but we will also be spending most of our time with probably Romans chapter 6. But I also want to go to Ephesians and 2 Thessalonians also. Okay, so uh, wherever you guys end up, I think I'm going to start off first (laughs) in uh, Ephesians chapter 1. But I think it's time to ask the Lord to open our, to give us ears to hear. Father, we come before your throne. We come with your word. We come resting in your spirit. Father, we come to hear from you. Father, there's, uh, there's much happening in our society. Father, there's much happening in our lives individually and collectively. Father, at times it just seems overwhelming. Father, at times it seems undaunting. And yet, Lord, you have taken the foolish to confound the wise. You have taken, Lord, the weak to overthrow the strong. Father, you have entrusted a message of eternity to us, to your children. Father, we come today thanking you. But Father, we come today eager and longing. Father, I just pray that even now you would teach us. Father, we would hear you. We'd rest to you. Father, the old things would pass away. And these new things would be what we would set our affection to. Our longing to. And I praise you. Christ's name. Amen. A few weeks ago, I think this is my fifth or sixth message, except for a couple weeks break, that I decided to take a break out of the book of Corinthians. The reason is is, uh, uh, the change in this church, the change in the faces, the change of the people who are in this church. Um, First Corinthians deals with personal and practical holiness. How do I conduct myself? in the body of Christ, but how do I conduct myself uh, in this land that I am but pilgriming through? I am just passing through. This is not my home. This is not the place of my hope. This is not the place that I long for. This is the place that, to use Jesus' phrase, I am here to do my Father's work. And when my work day is done, I shall go to a place that Jesus has left to prepare for me. And um, one of the things that I've been struggling with, um, and one of the things that really gets me into most trouble is this topic that I am been dealing with. Um, I shared with you years and years ago, two words came to me um, through my study of Holy Writ that just really shook me to the core. Uh, One was redeemed and the other was delivered Um, a child of God I have called this series for Christians only and the word that I sort of kind of focused on is the word delivered is delivered and if you looked at your outline it's same outline 
It's been going over and over again. What has he done and what do we do? And every message in this series that you've heard, you will see through that series the things that he has done. And therefore, these are the things that we do. In Ephesians chapter 1, just to review a little bit, I want to share with you what the Apostle Paul, writing the church in Ephesus, said in verses 3 through 6, Ephesians 1. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay? I don't, I can't grasp that completely. Because it says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Okay? Which means we're lacking nothing. Okay? But why do we some of us, have you ever seen Christians that look like paupers? Beggars? Like, but if I had this, or if I had this, or if I had this, or if I could get this. And I'm thinking that they don't grab that one. Let's read on. Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us as adoptions, as sons through Jesus Christ himself, according to the kind intentions of his will. To the praise and glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Okay, I think King James translates that uh, freely bestowed on us lavishly. He has lavished this on us in the beloved. I want to share with you something. That's a Christian. It's not an elder. It's not the deacon Christian. It's not the pastor Christian or the evangelist Christian. That would be your average, ordinary Christian. He has that. It's already his. It has been given to him. Uh, it is, yes, amazing grace that he has been given. If you read on down there in that chapter in verses 18 and 19, 18 through 21, you'll see this. Here's what Paul's request was. Why? He lays out this in the beginning of this letter. But here's what he says in verse 18. I pray okay, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of, his glo- of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Okay, I want to kind of back up. These things which work according to the strength of whose might? What's your responsibility in there? You do have a responsibility in this text. That the eyes of your heart would be opened. That you may grasp that. I want you to think about something for a second. I remember one time reading uh, Attributes of God by Arthur Pink. Arthur Pink is sort of on a... When he was alive, he was on a different planet. 
his his brain just what he I I don't know. Um, some some people think too hard, or I guess in my position, I just look at him like, why do you think that way? But he was speaking of the patience of God in one of his attributes, and he made this point: patience. Okay, that animal, that attribute, that thing has this issue. And that issue is it's based on time. Okay, here's the problem. God is not bound by time. So how does God have patience? Take it the next step. God only created time. That's all. Minor detail. He created space. He created matter. He created all that exists. And the only reason that you and I know that he has patience is because God created time for you and I. Think about that as you read these in accordance to the working and the strength of his might. Okay? You ever thought about that? That makes my brain hurt from the inside out, not from the outside in. I mean, I just sit there and it makes my, it starts at this, my brain stem and comes out and says, oh, get it. Okay? All right? But he always likes to throw this in. He only raised Jesus from the dead. That's all. Is that a big deal? Well, I'll be honest with you. I'm 48, very soon to be 49. And I've never seen anybody raised from the dead. Ever. Okay, but I do know that Jesus was raised from the dead emphatically. Why? Because if he wasn't, we'd be worshiping some box someplace. Okay, I mean, we worship a hole where he used to be in. I was at that hole. I've seen it. They've got incense and candles and gee, many crickets. You wouldn't believe what you have to go through on that. And they have a slab that they have cut out where the, the body literally laid. And I watched lines after lines after lines of people come in and weep over that rock and kiss it and, and all kinds of weird stuff. And I thought, that's disgusting. Well, that's what I thought. I mean, you got 10,000 people have stuck their lips on that thing, and I ain't doing it. <laughs> All right? I mean, it might be a rag or, or it might be a stone, but where's the Clorox? <laughs> Clean that bugger off. Okay? So I know that Jesus is raised from the dead, emphatically. Okay, I know there was a person named Jesus. I have all kinds of writings outside of biblical writings that speak of this man. Okay, I know he raised from the dead because uh, I know what men do. We worship. They have a headless body in the Vatican that they profess as John the Baptist. This is John the Baptist. Why? It doesn't have a head. Oh, great idea. Why didn't I think of that? Okay, how do you know it wasn't Paul? <laughs> oh, sorry. So, but you see what I'm trying to get at? Jesus was raised from the dead. I've never seen anybody raised from the dead. And I have to ask you, what kind of power is there to raise the dead? What kind of power exists to create time? You ever thought about that? 
And then he says here, oh, by the way, did you know you've been blessed with every spiritual blessings in the heavenlies? Okay, let me give you a quote again. I started this a few weeks ago, and I want to read you this quote because I don't want you to forget about this. All right, here's the quote. Now, I've been all over the world, as you know, and I have had lots of discussion with lots of Christian leaders, and I've read a lot of things about the church and the history of the church and the theology of the church. I've been all over, and I can tell you this right now in this day, and it has been this way for a long time through the 20th century, The biggest problem in the church is its ability, its inability and unwillingness to distinguish true Christians from false. And it's literally killing the church. Unquote. That's from Dr. MacArthur. Dr. John MacArthur. Okay. I have a question. Do you know how to distinguish between a true Christian and a false Christian? And I think the key to it is the one word that I have been dealing with over these last few weeks is delivered. Delivered. It's the root word we get saved from. Salvation, Savior, all comes from that word. It is translated deliver. Romans 11 says a deliverer will come out of Zion. It will not be the UPS guy. Okay? It will be Jesus Christ. I asked you guys many weeks ago. Has a deliverer come out of Zion? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay? So... If a deliverer is coming out of Zion, what is he delivering? What will he deliver? What happens? Who, what will he accomplish? A few weeks ago, we looked at Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Paul says, I give thanks that you have been delivered out of the dominion of darkness and placed into the dominion of light. What has God done? He has taken you out of the darkness. He has put you in the light. Psalm 119, verse 130 and verse 105 show us that there's a, 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 that the darkness and the light are synonymous with the lie and the truth. The dominion of darkness is the dominion of the lie. The dominion of light is the dominion of truth. If you read Ephesians 6, we all like to read that. We're preparing for spiritual warfare, and we're going to put on the armor that God has given us. What is the first piece of that armor you want to put on? The belt of truth. Why? So I can tell when I'm being lied to. When I'm trying to be deceived because I'm fighting an enemy, I am fighting a kingdom. And that kingdom is the dominion of darkness. It is the dominion of the lie. It is false. Okay, let me tell you something about the liar. He's very, very good. Oh, so, so good. Because he knows your Bible better than you do. And he lays his lie right alongside truth. But as Jonathan Edwards said, 
the two shall never cross. <laughs> the lie and the truth shall never cross. I put on this belt of truth. Why? Because we looked a few weeks ago in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 10, that we are here to pull down fortresses. We're going to tear down these massive walls. And they are literally ideologies. But you will only do them in the might of God. What did he say in Ephesians 19? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Same phrase. Same phrase you see in 2 Corinthians 10.10. Same phrase you see in in Ephesians 1 verse 19. You cannot even think about trying to tear down these imprisoning walls around humanity in your own strength. Impossible. Absolutely impossible. And there's only one way to do it. I have been delivered out of the lie. I have been placed in truth. I will stand in truth. Period. Period. In John's gospel, the 14th chapter, verse 17, I'm still reviewing here. It says, we have been given the spirit of truth. Truth. It's like a, a Christian has a built-in lie detector. Okay? It just, it just, it's right there. And let me tell you one of the lies that exist. There needs to be a time for you. You need to set some time aside for you because if you don't, you'll burn out. Really? That sounds good, though, doesn't it? You need a little R&R time. You need to just sort of your own space. We like that, don't we? Don't we like our own space? I'm, and believe it or not, in my relationship with my wife, I'm the introvert. She's the extrovert. Okay, she's not allowed to preach, and so na 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 na. So anyway, um, <laughs> I. I can read that, and if I get somebody tells me that, that I want you to just sort of have your time, you know what? I can go have my time forever by myself and never bother anybody and would be probably happier than many people. You know, peek out once in a while to see, yep, they're all still there, and then shut the door again. Okay? I spend my greatest time, one of my greatest joys, one of my greatest relaxations is seeing what Paul is up to. Okay, you know why? My personality says I don't have to deal with the guy. I just deal with his writings. All right. And, and I don't say that I'm not here to offend. But what I'm saying is that's Terry. I'm an introvert. I prefer to be by myself. You ask my wife. I come home sometimes and work all day and I'll go out in the garage and I'll tinker out in the garage and then I come back in and. Kind of call it a day. And she said, what were you doing? I don't know. I was trying to figure out, clean up my garage, I think is what I was doing. Why? That's just the way I am. That's, that's the way God made me. It's the way, way I, I enjoy being. But I have the spirit of truth in me. And the truth of God says, as you are going, make disciples of all people. Which says, Terry... 
you can't go hold up in the hole and wait for my return. I want you out about bothering people. So that's what I do. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. Paul tells Timothy, it's only the truth that saves. Did you know that? It's only the truth that saves. You know, it's not a movie about the truth that saves. It's not a song about the truth that saves. It is only the truth that saves. You know, we, we always talk about Martin Luther and the Great Reformation and how he did it. And he wrote his dissertation on Galatians and he hung it on Wartenberg's door. And right there it was. And he got the Catholics all ticked off at him and all the rest of it. But you know what really started it? Romans chapter 1 verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. I know people today who are saying you can't give them the Bible, you have to cloak it. If you cloak it, then they don't realize that they're getting the Bible. And then that way you can spring it on them. 1 John chapter 4 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are of God, because there are many false prophets, and they have gone out into the world. Okay, that letter was written in 90 AD. Do you suppose there's more or less false prophets? I'm thinking that we have an exponential multiplication of false prophets. Okay? Um, Man, I can go on and on and on and on. Listen, what has God done? To every child that is His. Now, hear me well. Every child that is His. He has delivered them from the lie and placed them in truth. Okay? Did you know that it's impossible to deceive the elect? Do you know that? The elect, I don't like that word. Fine, don't use that word. True children of God, it's impossible to deceive. Why? Spirit of truth, where? Is in them. All right, listen, you need to understand something. And I shared this a couple of weeks ago. In salvation, there's two planes. There's, there's two understandings. There's that that can't be realized, that God realizes that you don't. And then there's that that you experience. Okay, let me tell you something. At salvation, you were justified. How does that look? Okay. Well, here's how it looks. God can now look on you. (laughs) He can't look upon sin. Now he can. Why? Because you are clothed in Christ's righteousness. But I don't see it. I can't see justification. I mean, I can't take like a, a, a black light and see if you've got a J on your forehead. Yes, this one here is justified. I can see it. You can't see it. It's You're justified. And yet, in that change of status before God, there is also a change of nature. Now that... I can see. I can see that. It's visible. It's visible. And that's what I'm going to deal with a little more today. Listen, I know emphatically Jesus promised it. Peter promised it. John promised it. Paul promised it. That the enemy will sow false people into the church. It's promised. You've got to be. Do you understand what I'm saying there? 
You can't go to church and not understand that there will be false people in the church. We know this. Here's, I remember a few years ago, uh, I listened, was down and heard R.C. Sproul teaching down in Colorado Springs, and he made this statement, and I wrote these, these down several years ago. There's four kinds of people in the world. This is what R.C. said. Now, I believe there's two, the saints and the ain'ts, but the, there's four types of people that you're going to deal with. There are those who are not saved, and they know they're not saved. Okay? They're very evident. They're not saved, and they know they're not saved. They don't want to be saved. They're not interested in being saved. And shh, be quiet about salvation. Okay? There are those who are saved and who don't know it. They're not secure. They haven't grown in their faith. They haven't grown. They haven't grown in their faith. Okay? There are those, this is the third type, that are saved and they know it. I'm here for the king. I'm here for his pure enjoyment. I'm here to be about my father's work. I'm here. My single priority in life are the things of the living God, period. And then there are those who are not saved, but know they are. Did you get that one? Four kinds. Not saved. No, they're not saved. Saved and don't understand it. Saved and understand it and are not saved and absolutely emphatically believe that they are. Okay, that's one of the groups that you will have to deal with. They believe they're saved, and yet either they are deceived or they are deceiving. Those are the ones who will destroy the church. Okay, remember two weeks ago, three weeks ago, John's Gospel, 8th chapter, 31, 32. John's whole focus on that whole chapter. He's dealing with who is true, who is true. And Jesus says, those who remain, those abide, I believe is your translation, but that means to remain, are truly methetas ethios. Methetas ethios. True disciples. Legitimate disciples. Perfected disciples. You see them, you know them, you can smell them. Why? They do what? They remain. Let me share with you something. Here's an amazing thing that happens to a Christian. Okay? If I've been delivered from the lie to truth, what should be an overwhelming um, passion of that individual? Truth. Truth. Why? I have been immersed in the lie for so long. Help me. Help me. Uh, 2 Thessalonians speaks of those who will go to condemnation under the Antichrist. And the reason that they will is that they will not have a love of the truth as to be saved. As to be saved. All right, so if I don't have a desire for Scripture, then you only have one other option. If you don't desire truth then there's only one other thing you desire. The lie. Whose kingdom are you in? Whose kingdom are you in? You ever heard people say that? I don't, I don't like to read the Bible. Why not? Ask them why not. I know why not. You're not saved. Listen, if I've been hanging out in the light all along, then all of a sudden God says, look, boom, truth. 
There should be this thing that says, I got to have more of that. I should just be overwhelmed with that. Why? Because I have spent all of these years, all this time where? In the lie. Help me. I want to be away from the lie. So if you have been delivered from darkness to light, there should be an overwhelming... You know what? And listen, it doesn't say that I sit there and read this sucker and I understand it all. I still am struggling with the baptism of the dead. Okay? You guys wonder why I stopped teaching out of Corinthians. (laughs) Read on. (laughs) Dealing with tongues and spiritual gifts is a piece of cake. Baptism of the dead is like, huh, what's up with that? Okay? But you see what I'm trying to get at? But there's still a desire for what? Truth. Listen, have you ever thought about this book is only the mind of God? That's all it is. And if we say we love Him, then there should be a desire to know Him. Where would I go to know Him? I have the spirit of truth in me, right? And the spirit of truth would be pushing me to what direction? To the word of truth. Then all of a sudden I'm going to read the word of truth. I'm going to realize, did you know that God has gifted men and then given the gifted men as gifts to the church for equipping me for service? If that isn't there, then what's wrong? Well, I haven't read that part. (laughs) Okay, now you have. (laughs) I just gave it to you. There should be an overwhelming desire to be among the brethren. Why? There's always a possibility that I'm going to learn something. And you know what? There's also the possibility I'm going to get to serve. Because I have been delivered. I should have a desire for the speakers of the truth. I should have desire for the Christ of truth. I should have a desire for God of truth. In Acts chapter 2, 3,000 got saved. You know how we know 3,000 got saved? They continued in the apostles' teaching daily. Daily. They were immersed in it. Why? They had been moved. Why? Because they now have this overwhelming obsession, an overwhelming love of truth. And you know what? They're going to love those who are born of God, period. If you're born of God, you're going to love them. You know, even the little porcupine Christians. I love Christians. Which ones? All of them. You know, some of them are just real. Some of them just, gosh, I need to hug that thing and I just don't want to. Right? Because it's going to hurt me more than it will them. But I still got to go do it. Why? What was the boundary of Christ's love for you? There was none. What did Christ withhold from you? Why would I withhold from a child of Christ? What do I embrace? What do I cherish? We should be embracing and cherishing those who love God. Okay? You know where your home is? Do you know where your heart is? It should not be in that place that you dwell. It should be with the people of God. Do you know where you belong? The people of God. 
There should be a love. There should be a devotion. And we know this. Why? Because of what he's already done. See how he does it? This is what I've done. And this is what you do. That's that two planes. Let me give you a, a, a quote from Jonathan Edwards. Uh, I was reading his. Uh, it's amazing how we pick and choose the really cool stuff of Jonathan Edwards. He's got a book that very few people have read. Uh, True Disciples and the Spirit of God and is, is a book. And very few people have ever heard of that book. And I keep thinking, if, any time, if all the books of Jonathan Edwards that we should be reading, that one is the one. And this is from that book. And I quote, Would the Prince of Darkness promote... Would the prince of darkness in promoting his kingdom of darkness lead men to the sun? No. Mm -mm. Okay. The devil has always shown a deadly spite and hatred toward the holy book. He has done all in his power to, to estrange that light, to extinguish, I'm sorry, I can't read my writing, to extinguish that light and draw men away from it. Okay? He knows it to be the light that which his kingdom of darkness will be overthrown. And he has for many ages experienced its power to defeat his purposes and baffle his designs it is, a const, it is his constant plague. Every text is a dart to torment the old serpent. He has felt the stinging smart thousands of times. Therefore, he is engaged against the Bible and hates every word in it. We may be sure that he never will attempt to raise persons to raise a person's esteem of it or their affection for it, unquote. The first view you see of this serpent, what is his attack on? Has God said? First attack. First words you ever see from the snake. What is the focus of his attack? The word of God. You know what's amazing about it? Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Those who perish, I shared with you, 2 Thessalonians, have not received a what? Love of the word as to be saved. Why? I have managed to keep you away from my most horrid enemy. The holy book. You know what the biggest problem in the American culture today is? Our society, coast to coast. Do you know what our biggest problem is? The Bible. It's the Bible. It's our biggest problem. You think I'm kidding you? Why would we have a discussion on abortion if it wasn't for the Bible? Why would we have a discussion on divorce? Why would we have a discussion on pornography? Why would we have a discussion on the isms of society, of idolatry? The biggest problem in our culture today is the Word of God. But it's not new. 
There's no discussion of the morality of humanity without Scripture. Without the Scriptures. Here's the problem. It's starting to be that way in the church. I know a church here in our area who does not put a cross up in their building. And the reason is, it's offensive and we don't want people to be offended. I know people who put, change the names of their church so they're non-offensive. We are a community church. We are a Bible church. We are this or we are that. We are the other. And yet, do you know what the object of preaching is? Show you truth. That's all. That's all. And yet, the people who live in the darkness, how well do they do when you give them truth? They tend to get, yeah. You, you, you get to learn what gnashing of teeth is about. Okay? Why? The world lives in a lie, and that whole mentality has now invaded the, the church. So with that in mind, all of that is introduction. <laughs> I want to go to Romans chapter 10. Okay? I want to look at verse 9. One of the most favorite Baptist texts in the hall of Holy Writ. Okay? Romans 10 verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. Okay? If you don't believe Jesus is Lord, let me give you the alter ego of this text. If you don't believe Jesus is Lord, if you don't believe God raised him from the dead, you can't be saved. All right? Well, that makes sense. Demon and crickets, what's the big deal? Big, big, huge deal here. Curios, Lord, sovereign, king. You know what that means? He's not interested in your opinion. He seeks not your counsel. He seeks not your, not even your desires. He says, I will place my desires in your heart. Oh, what a drag. But do you believe he is Lord? And I would say this morning, everybody here, oh, absolutely. All right, let me ask you a question. Does your life look like it? Who rules your life? That's what the text says. Who rules your life? Two rulers. Only two. Two rulers. Who rules your life? Look at that text because it is an amazing text. I want to kind of move around in this this chapter 10. Um, Verse 12 says this. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. Got that? You understand what he just said? Your social status is irrelevant. (laughs) It's basically what he says. Your position on the planet doesn't matter. 
Okay, but he says, if I call upon him, see, that's man's free will. No, it ain't. Go back to verse nine. He is sovereign. He is curious. He is Lord. You don't make him Lord. You don't receive him as Lord. You don't accept him as Lord. He is Lord. You can't even make him Lord. He already is Lord. What have we done? Look at verse 13. Whoever call upon the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. What does that mean? When you call on the name, that would be all that he is. Which would that be? That would be the 66 books that make up your Bible. You know, that would be the all of them part. You know, here's the one that just thrills everybody to death. A woman was not created for man, but... Or man was not created for woman, but woman was what? That's part of the name Lord Jesus Christ. Did you understand that? You can't pick and choose. If I call upon the name, then I call upon all that he is. All that he is is in the 66 books of the Bible. Do you know, do not forsake the assembly together, which is the habit of some... Ooh, who said that? The writer of Hebrews. Who was that? God. Bummer. But what? Okay, we had this discussion. Do not bring an accusation against an elder unless there's two or more witnesses. Who said that? Paul. <laughs> Paul said that. My, that ain't red letter Bible in my book. <laughs> right? Listen, we have bought it hook, line, and sinker that the Word of God is contained in the Bible. Jesus said, well, let me explain it to you this way. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but not even a jot nor a tittle from Scripture. That's punctuation. And then like if you put a cross on the top of your T, that's the tittle. So Jesus believed that the Bible was God's word. Even the dangling participles. All God's word. And so if I call upon the name of the Lord, what happens? I shall be saved. You can't call on, I'm calling on parts of the names of Jesus to be saved. I like the blessing and the grace side because you still have to look at the right and the anger side, the wrath and the anger side. Okay, verse 14 says this. How will they call upon him in whom they have not believed? That's a good question, right? How will they come? Well, you put in the Jesus film. That's what it says next, right? No. How will they call upon him? How will they understand his nature? How will they understand what is encompassed in the name of Christ? I like this. This is one of my favorite texts in Scripture. You'll see why here in a minute. How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Look at verse 17. Okay. 
I like the text, verse 9. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Okay? But, verse 17, you can't drop out. Verse 17 says, so faith comes from hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ. Christ. All right? If I've been delivered from darkness to light, I've been delivered from error to truth, then I have a love for truth and the people of truth. Not only that, I have a love for preaching. Why? Where's my faith going to grow? Through preaching. Why? He's given gifts to men and gifted men to the church. All right? Now I want to take you to another text. Sixth chapter of this book, Romans. Romans 6. I want to pick it up at verse 17. Verse 17. Remember, I'm dealing with this thought. I've been delivered. What has God done? He has delivered me. He has taken me from one place and He has put me someplace else. I'm not in the process of moving. Right? If you receive a package and it has been delivered to your home, it is not in the process of being delivered. All right? Verse 17 says this, Thanks be to God. Though you were what? Stop right there. This, I believe, is one of the biggest problems that exist in, the, in America today, in the church in America today. Okay? What is a slave? And I guarantee you that some of you who work will tell you, yeah, I'm a slave. My boss does this and does that, and I'm a slave. Okay, I mean, I have to work. I mean, you've got to put the lights on and the heat and the gas and all the rest of this stuff. Okay, well, let me tell you something about my boss. My boss says, only be perfect. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, period. Oh, by the way, you may not get a raise. You may not get a vacation. Ah, guaranteed. But there is a crown of righteousness stored up for you and all who are here. What is a slave? I decided I'll go see what Webster has to say. Because we all seem to think Webster's got a good idea. And when I read old Noah Webster, I sat there and said, the dude's got this thing figured out. Here's what Noah Webster says. Someone abject and dutifully service under a master. Someone whose wills, ideas, opinions, plans, purposes, and futures are not in their own hands. Slave. You want me to read that again? Abject, dutiful servant under a master. It is someone whose will... Whose ideas, whose opinions, whose plans, whose purposes, whose future are not in their own hands. Someone who does whatever he is told under a commanding authority. Slave. I want to read that again. We've got to let that thing kind of... That's one of those you need to meditate on. Because at one point in time, everyone in this room... Their will, their ideas, their opinions, 
their plans, their purposes, their future was dutifully in service to a master. And according to this text, that master was sin. That's what it says. Does whatever he's told because they're under commanding authority. Who is under command? Sin. Paul says, thanks be to God, you were slaves of sin. Okay? Makes sense. Sin is the master. Literally dominated by sin. Now listen, occasionally, sinners do good things. Don't they? Okay, but you got you have to admit that there's sin. And you have to admit that it's absolutely rampant. Okay? And I can give you one of the simplest illustrations. Why do we have speed limit signs? <laughs> Why do I put a sign out there that says 25, 35, 45, 145. <laughs> it's, it's from the Monument Hill Bridge in the Larkspur. <laughs> you have to see it really fast. Okay? Because man is inherently slow. And we have to keep... You need to go faster. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Is that why we have speed limit signs? Sin is our master. We do good things. We may even express some sort of love. But see, our love, we can have the same love for grandma, for a woman, as we do for a dog. Not just love you. Um, We may even take care of our children sometimes. We may take care of old people. Okay? But the dominating force that used to drive our lives, the power behind our lives was what? Sin. Sin. Look at verse 18. Does your say, having been? Okay, anybody want to, anything just jump out at you about that phrase? Past tense. Isn't it? That's the way mine reads. Past tense. You know what? If you take it and parse it out in the original language, the Greek language, guess what? You know how it's parsed out? Past tense. An event in the past has future ramifications. Doesn't change. It doesn't say you are in the process of being freed from sin, does it? You have been. Remember, what blessing were you being blessed with in the heavenlies? Every blessing in the heavenlies. Really? Do you understand that part of the heavenly blessings are you have been? Past tense. Past tense. So if you've truly been delivered out of light or out of darkness into light, out of error into truth, then you just received an amazing truth here. This is not behavior modification. 
This is the new covenant of Jeremiah. This is the covenant of a stone heart taken out and a heart of flesh put back in. This is a covenant where my spirit will dwell in you and you will be my people and I will be your God. I will not be in the process of being your God and you will not be in the process of being my people. Past tense. Enter into that covenant. Remember we take a little cracker and a little cup. This is the covenant which is in my blood. What I'm trying to emphasize here, I got little purple stars. When I see purple stars on my notes, that means you may miss some of this. Don't miss this. Major, dramatic, and drastic change. Past tense. Absolutely no way to not notice that verse. What does it say? Having been freed from sin, you became, oh, dawn. You want me to read you the definition of slave again? Let me give you the definition of slave again. Abject, dutiful service under a master, someone whose wills, whose ideas, whose opinions, whose plans, whose purposes, whose future are not in their own hands. Someone who does whatever he is told under a commanding authority. You are now a slave to righteousness. Righteousness. What does that mean? I'm doing what is right in my own eyes. No. It is right standing before a holy God. All right? You have been delivered. You used to be a slave, and now guess what you are? A slave. Okay? Your master in your life. Let me ask you a question. What is the power in your life? What's the predominant thing in your life? What motivates you? What controls your thinking, your attitudes, your actions? I once found satisfaction. I once found happiness. I once found joy. I once found delight in sin. How about today? Where do you find your satisfaction? Where do you find your happiness? Where do you find your joy? Where do you find your delight? Where do you find your fulfillment, your purpose? Because that is who your master is. Got that? Everybody just hear what I just said? You know what? I remember a time that once I hated doing what was right. And I... I loved, I loved what was do, doing what was wrong. Uh, I remember a pastor one time asked me, do you understand what laws are for? And I said, absolutely. And he says, what? I said, to be broken. Now, some of you guys, well, I just can't believe that. You know what? The only difference between me and a whole bunch of other people, I did what you wanted to. That's the only difference. You thought, wow, I think that'd be really cool. I said, it was. (laughs) And everybody wants to look down. No, but let me tell you where I'm at now. 
Okay? How did that happen? How do you move from someone who loves sin to now someone who loves righteousness? And I want to show you a verse that so many people just flat out miss, and it's right smack dab in the middle of verse 17. You know what I like about that one? Past tense. You became... I don't like that word. I know, you're American. You hate slave too. But you know what? You used to be a slave, a soul out, committed, yes, master, yes, master, yes, master, to sin. Now who are you a master to? Why? Became obedient from where? Let me show you something here. Obedient from the heart. Do you understand that something didn't happen on the outside? You, you didn't get a whole new set of rules. And you just grit your teeth and get after it. That is not what that text says. Tupon deacodes. Tupon deacodes. It's a good word. He says here, Tupon diacodes. But at the end of the verse, he says, a form of teaching to which you were committed. Parodidomai. Parodidomai. Tupon diacodes and parodidomai. You need to know those words. Committed literally means delivered. Uh, you were handed over. You, I use a term that everyone can, you were relocated. You were relocated. Okay, the reason you changed, you've been relocated. Tupon is to mold something. It is a structure or a form. Okay, uh, it is to pour into it. If, if you, you were going to make a coin, you would have a, 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 a form, a, a stone, and you would pour molten something in there, and that would take that form of that. That's tupon. Okay, here it is a body of truth. It is of a teaching. Oh, we're going to hate this word. It is a doctrine. And you were delivered into that, and you became obedient to the heart. You were in this mold of the lie. You have been placed in this mold of the truth. This is what God has done. Christians have already been delivered past tense. They've been delivered into a body of truth. And that truth saves. If they have not been delivered into that body of truth, they're not saved. It's not exterior. It isn't, I better read my Bible today because I'm supposed to. It's because I want to. I have lived in the lie for so long. I want now to live in truth. I want to know truth like I know the back of my hand. So that when the lie shows up, I can look at it on the back of my hand and say, that ain't right. I don't even have to argue about it. 
Everything I look at today in my life is through a grid of God's Word. That's my truth detector. And I look at it and I say, it won't fit through my grid. I have no use for it. I have no use for it. I have no time for it. I see people say, well, I need to know what the Mormons believe. I think you need to know what Jesus believes. Why? Because if I know what Jesus believes, I can spot the Mormons on the other side of the planet. Okay? Mormons are easy. The ones that are tough are the ones who are sown in among you. You know what? It may even be possible today. I was supposed to have a meeting on Wednesday. Thursday, I'm sorry. And they had a great grand poobah of the evangelical world was going to <clears throat> want to put together a thing to share the gospel. Okay? And to teach your people how to share the gospel. Let me share with you something. I'm going to say this with as much love as I can say right now. I need everybody to hear me, young and old alike. Okay? Please hear me on this. If you can't explain the gospel, you're not saved. Okay? If you have to go someplace and take a class on sharing the gospel, you're not saved. It's impossible. I can't separate the gospel from, from the word of truth. I can't separate the gospel from the spirit of truth. The gospel is encompassed in all of that. If I can't do that, then I don't know truth. If I don't know truth, guess what? You're in another kingdom. You're in another kingdom. Okay? If you can't share truth, if you can't share the gospel, then that means you don't believe truth. Anything short of that is purely deception. Purely deception. Look what I said. You have been freed from sin. You became a slave to what? How can you be a slave to righteousness and not know the gospel? How can you be a slave to the king of the gospel and not know his gospel? He starts to let her out. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because that's the bugger that's going to get you saved. That's Terry's paraphrase. I don't need to give you a little toy. I don't need to give you a little homily. I don't need to give you a little play. I don't need to do a dramatic representation. How will they hear? Well, I think it was through the Passion of Christ movie by Mel Gibson. Let me tell you something about the movie. It's not the gospel. It's not even contained in it. And I'm not trying to offend. What I'm trying to tell you, did he take a beating? Absolutely. But it's not the gospel. Why? Because the first thing on the plate of the gospel is you're in darkness, you are blind, you are naked, you are depraved, and you are not seeking after God. That's what my Bible says. And until I confront your sin straight up with the power of the Word of God, you can't come. There is no receiving Jesus. There is repentance 
It is an R word. You do not accept. You bow. You do not know I come. No, you beg. He receives you. What have we done? What have we done? $139 and we can have this guy teach us how to share our faith. Truthfully, that's a good price for eternity. But there's a serious problem with that. If you can't share the gospel, you come talk to me because I'll share with you the gospel. How can I say I have been freed from sin and now I am a slave to righteousness but the God of righteousness I don't know his story if a person if you ever had these people I've heard had this my husband is acting lost he's doing this and this and this and this or my wife is acting my kids are acting lost you know why they are <laughs> why do we struggle with that they are well but I remember when he walked an aisle he cried like a baby he shook all over is he living like the devil? Yeah. Then who's driving the bus? Hey, I, what? Do we struggle with that? Yeah, we do. Okay. If a person wants to sin, their satisfaction is found in sin. Guess what? I know who their king is. I know who their king is. See, we are new creatures. Uh, what shall I say then? Or look at verse uh, 4 of chapter 6. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism in... To what? To death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might what? We have become united with him in the likeness of his death. Right? How dead was Jesus? We have been united. The flesh has been mortified. Listen, it isn't that we're perfect. Okay? But there is a new practice. Do you understand the difference? I'm not perfect, but I do have a new practice, a new lifestyle. What is seen is absolutely different than what used to be. Salvation. I have been delivered. It changes everything in your life. Listen, it is dramatic and it is drastic. I, it is mind-altering. It is as bizarre as anything happens on this planet. And it is instantaneous. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 21. You shall call his name Jesus. He shall save his people from their sin. Okay, why? He dominates sin's power. He shattered sin's power. Look at verse 19. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Human terms. What, is it? what are you trying to tell me here? Well, you were a slave. 
And I want to make this as simple as you can understand it. Right into the church in Rome, he says, you know what? You used to be a slave. They look around, about 80% of the Roman population was what? Slaves. So it wasn't rocket science. All right? I'm speaking here. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further, further lawlessness, you now what? So now what? What does it say? Present your members as slaves of righteousness, resulting in what? Setting apartness. Setting apartness. A Christian is so loud in our society today because you know what is bizarre about them? They're not self-centered. It's insane. I've never seen anything like it. The whole world is self-centered. I don't care what aspect it is. We have industries that are based on self-centered. What is marketing? Let me feed your flesh. You need this. If you've arrived, you've got this. You need a big TV, a flat TV, a long TV, a skinny TV. Why? We want you to spend $3,000 for a TV. And if you've arrived, then you can just hang that flat thing on the wall. Then all of a sudden you realize, I ain't got enough time to watch my flat TV because I got to make payments on $12,000. You once were slaves to what? Impurity, unclean stuff, lawlessness. Your human faculties. Your mind, your thoughts, your patterns, your voice, your speech, your body, everything about you served sin. Now you're slave to righteousness. He understood it. He says, I want to make this understand. Let me make it as understandable to you. Your human faculties. Let me make it so your flesh grabs this. Your mind. Your thinking processes, your patterns, your voice, your speech, your body language, the way you dress, the way you comb your hair, the way that you take care of yourself, the way you present yourself is now a slave to righteousness. Why? Because I've been freed from from sin. You know what the result is? Holiness. Holiness. You know what holiness is, right? Just the opposite of the world. It's 180 degrees opposite. That's all. Romans 11 remember is the deliverer coming no the deliverer has come 614 says sin shall not be master over you for you're not under the law but under grace listen I, I want to sh- it's not perfection Okay, but let me ask you a question. What are your longings? What's your affections, your desires? If you've been delivered, then they've changed, haven't they? I love God. I love Jesus. I want to honor Jesus. Let me tell you something. That's not natural. It's not natural longings. I know people right now who love Jesus, but they love themselves more and love what Jesus can do for them. You don't believe me? Get yourself in a pickle. Go down to the doctor. You got this little pain thing right here in the side. And you go to the doctor 
And the doctor's going, I need to do a blood test, an MRI, CAT scan, and all them other weirder things that they want to do. And what all of a sudden happens? That person becomes a prayer warrior, don't they? They pray more there than they'll ever in their lives. Why? I'm worried about me. And Jesus, let's make a deal. You know what Jesus says? <clears throat> I don't make deals. One deal on the table. Obedient from the heart. Confess with your mouth. And believe that I've been raised from the dead. That's the only deal. And if I want to afflict you with cancer to get your undivided attention, I'll do it. I'll do whatever it takes to get your undivided attention. And you know what? I need not your counsel. No one has given to the Lord as he would even have to give you the time of day. And yet, what do you see in the church today? There is sanctification. You want to know where sanctification comes from? Being a slave to righteousness. You want to know why people don't share their faith? Two reasons. One, they don't know it. They don't have anything to share, basically. They're not saved. They don't know the gospel. What's the four spiritual laws? Uh, a, B, C, um, yeah. Oh, that was Ohm's law. Um, uh-oh. What are four spiritual laws? There's more than four. <laughs> but I can summarize them in two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? Anybody that ain't you. I want to tell you about this sanctification. This is what we're going to move to next. Remember, you've been delivered. What has he done already? He delivered you from darkness to light. He delivered you from error to truth. Already done it. Okay, now you need to go find truth. He showed you how to do that. Okay, he delivered you from sin to righteousness. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says this, We should always give thanks to God for you, beloved brethren, and by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in what? Truth. Paul went backwards through the salvation event right there. He says, you guys in Thessalonica are amazing. You know why? You have salvation. You know how I know? You put your faith in what? Truth. And what happens when you put your faith in truth? Sanctified. Sanctified. You look different than the world. Your love is different. Your hope is different. Your peace is different. It is absolutely not based on anything temporal. It's not based on anything temporal. Where did that come from? It's supernatural. It's supernatural. I have been separated. Salvation comes because I have now been separated from sin through faith. Faith in what? Truth. Why? I was delivered, past tense, from the error. I was placed where? In truth. If I have been, tra- face, if I have been placed in truth, what happens? Sanctification. 
sanctification. It's not a process. It's already happened. If you're truly saved, guess what? It's seen. If it's seen, guess what happens next? Glorification. All three equal what? Salvation. You don't get saved and then you live a life being sanctified and step into heaven and become glorified. That's a lie. You are justified, sanctified, glorified. You are saved. And the key to it is that I have been delivered from error to truth. I've also been delivered from sin to righteousness. You know what's amazing about it? Past tense. You know what's scary about it? Jesus himself, and I'll close with these words. Jesus himself said this. On the day of judgment, when people will step from this temporal to the eternal. This is what Jesus said. Many will say, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I do not great signs in your name? And did I not do great miracles in your name? You know what Jesus' response will be? Away from me. I never knew you. Why? You weren't delivered. You lived in the lie. You lived in the error. You lived in the darkness. And the fruit of the darkness is evident. Now do you see why we need to understand this? I can go through 1 Corinthians and drive natural man nuts. Don't sue. Don't divorce. If you're single, stay single. If you're this, stay this. Go through, and they're just going to be sitting there going, i got all these rules and regulations, and they're going to get their teeth and go try to do it and be mad at me for eternity. But if I have been delivered, I have new attitude. I have new longing. I have new affections. I have new devotions. I have new desires. You know what's really cool about it? They overwhelm me. They overwhelm me. I become obsessed. Obsessed. Even to the point, I had a friend of mine one time that says, it sounds to me like you're becoming fanatical. Amen. The greatest compliment it has ever given to me was a guy I used to ride Harleys with and used to do all kinds of bizarre stuff with. He looked me right in the eye and he says, you know what? You have become a Bible thumper. Amen. <laughs> all the way to the pearly gates. Let's pray. Father, I praise you for your word. I praise you for delivering us. Father, may we know your righteousness. May we know your wisdom and your way. Father, may we know your passions. May we know your longings. May we know your desires. May we know your will as if they are as the back of our hand. Father, may we bow before you and give the hallelujah course a run for its money. As we say, yes, Lord, and amen. Father, use us up. Pour us out as a drink offerings. 
Father, these earthen vessels, to your honor, to your glory, to your praise. Amen.